Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. A couple of weeks ago, Patty and I had a friend of ours pass away with, after contracting the coronavirus. We attended his funeral uh, virtually. And during that funeral, they played a song by Andre Crouch. And when they played that song, my mind went back to the 1970s. Andre Crouch was probably one of the greatest artists of the decade, won nine Grammy Awards. And so the next day, uh, um, I was at home and I told Alexa, I said, Alexa, play some Andre Crouch music. And she started a, uh, a rotation and Jesus is the answer was on that rotation. When I heard him sing that song, it just really spoke at a very deep place. I listened to it over and over. I said, play it again and listen to it over. And I started thinking about that. He wrote that song with his sister in 1973. And it was a time of social unrest in our nation. I was 12 years old. I remember it. I remember the marches. I remember the riots. I remember the calls to end racism. And I remember the call to get us out of the war in Vietnam. It was such a dark time. That was the year that they legalized abortion in our nation. It was a year that our vice president had to resign because of a tax scandal. By the end of that year, the Watergate scandal was front and center, and that's all you would see on television. It was truly a dark time for our nation, but on Sundays... On Sundays, we would gather in that little Pentecostal church and we would sing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And as we sang that song, we had hope. Hope that there's going to be a better day tomorrow. Hope that things would ultimately change you know, that's why we're here today. We're here today because we are people of hope. And we believe that there are better days ahead. And we believe that we can find hope in Jesus. You know, our world is crying out for hope. Our world is crying out for answers. You can turn on your television set and you can listen to the cable news. You can look at uh, social media. You can, in your Zoom calls, it seems like the same question is being asked over and over and over. What in the world is going on? What's going on? Why is this virus spreading across America? Why is our economy in turmoil? And then we bring it closer to home. Why, why is our family struggling? Why is there tension in our relationships? People are just crying out with so many questions, and they're looking for answers, but yet they're looking in the wrong places. 
And you're not going to find the answers to change your life on the nightly news. Drugs and alcohol is not the answer. President Trump and the Republicans are not the answer. Joe Biden and the Democrats are not the answer. But Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Over the next few minutes, I want you to open up your Bibles, and we're going to look at a, a story in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to listen in this conversation as Jesus spoke to his disciples. And this is just a few days before Jesus and his disciples went to Jerusalem, where he would ultimately be arrested and crucified. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when he says, And when Jesus came to the, res to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others said Jeremiah are one of the prophets. But then he said, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Now, Jesus is having his, this conversation uh, as, with his disciples as they were in this community called Caesarea Philippi. And this is about 30 miles outside of Galilee. And Galilee is where he did the majority of his ministry. I would imagine as his disciples were walking with him toward Caesarea Philippi, they must have been thinking, what in the world is going on? Where is he taking us? They had to think, why are we going to Caesarea Philippi? Because those disciples knew that Caesarea Philippi was known as a pagan stronghold. It was located at the foot of Mount Hermon, and there at the foot of Mount Hermon was a cave uh, that had this underground spring where water would gush out of the cave. Nearly two years ago, Patty and I made a trip to Caesarea Philippi. And uh, we were able to stand right there in that cave where that water would gush out. In the early, earlier centuries, people worshipped a pagan god named Baal right there. Now, Baal is spelled B-A-A-L. Um, religious scholars would pronounce that Baal. Southern preachers call it Baal. So I'm more of a Southern preacher than I am a religious scholar, so we'll land with them. So we'll call it Baal today. So Baal was known as a fertility uh, god. He was uh, considered to be a god of the underworld. And the pagans believed that the spirits of the underworld entered the earth right here, right here at this spot. And they called this spot the gates of Hades. So I want you to remember that. It's Caesarea Philippi. This is the place of the gates of Hades. By Jesus' day, the pagan god Baal wasn't worshiped anymore. But there's another god primarily uh, in Caesarea Philippi, and this pagan god was named Pan. You may remember the uh, pagan god Pan from Greek mythology. 
Pan was kind of a half goat and a half god. He had goat feet and goat legs and goat horns. He was this nasty character, this sexual deviant uh, character. And even today, they have a sign marking this as a place for the temple of the goats. And we, we stood there and we saw that sign. But not only um, did they have the, this sign, but it had a sign toward, uh, for, for Zeus and for Nemesis and several of the, the Greek gods of that day. Now, Pan was thought to be a god that inspired confusion and chaos and, and disor- a spirit of disorder. Think about that. Confusion, chaos, and disorder. That sounds like what's going on in our nation now. That this demonic force is causing confusion, chaos, and disorder in people. Now, the Greeks had a name uh, for this, a word for this. They call this spirit, of cha- uh, this spirit of disorder and internal chaos. You know what they called it? They called it panic. So here we see uh, the, um, Jesus going to the gates of Hades, the place of panic. I believe that, that Jesus went there because we know that Jesus is what? Jesus was known as the Prince of Peace. So here we see Jesus going to the gates of Hades, the place of panic. He is the Prince of Peace. And this is what we can pull out of that, that Jesus came to bring peace where there is panic. Think about your life. Think about your world. I want you to hear this message. Jesus came to bring peace where there is panic. Jesus came to bring peace. So we see at the foot of this mountain, uh, people built temples And they dedicated these temples to various pagan gods. And this place was often called the Rock of the Gods. I want you to remember that. That this place was called the Rock of the Gods. This is where Baal was worshipped. This is where Pan was worshipped. A number of other pagan gods was worshipped. And this is where Jesus took his disciples. I want you to understand, no other Jewish a rabbi would ever think about taking his disciples to this place. This was offensive to the people of Israel. But it gets worse. This is at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was named for Caesar. A temple was built by Philip there to, uh, to worship and honor Caesar. So this was a place of emperor worship. So the disciples truly are wondering, okay, what's up with Jesus here? Why is Jesus taking us 30 miles away from our home to Caesarea Philippi? I mean, there's nobody there. There's not going to be any crowds there for us to preach to. There's not going to be sick people there for us to heal. Why are we going here? This is such a desolate place. But what we see here is Jesus is very comfortable in going to desolate places. Some of you have been there. Maybe you feel like you're at a desolate place in your life right now. 
that you look at your life and you never dreamed that things would happen like it is. You feel all alone. You feel like that nobody understands you. Nobody knows what you're going through. And you feel uh, that you're in this desolate, dry place. And I just want to say to you that, that you're not alone. Even though you feel like you're alone, you're sheltered in place, you're covered in fear, you are not alone. See, this, this pandemic is, is, um, is real, and there are people in this room, possibly, that have already gone through the experiences of COVID-19. You've got many people in the church that have suffered through COVID-19. But then... There's a whole group of people that live under the fear that they may get it. And so here's this, and sometimes I wonder, is the fear worse than the disease? And so we're in this difficult place. It's affected all of us. It's affected all of us, but it's affected us in different ways. Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi to make a point. Think about it. He is there at the rock of the gods. He is there at the rock of the gods, at the gates of Hades. And he asked a question to his disciples, a question that everyone will be asked at one day. He looked at his disciples and said, who do people say the Son of Man is? I'm sure the disciples were thinking, Okay, this must be a trick question. Because sometimes when, uh, when we're asked obvious questions, we pause and think, okay, is, is, there must be something else to this. I'm missing something. This must be a trick question. They're thinking, this must be a trick question here. But then Peter answered. He said, I'll tell you, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus responded and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you were raised as a Catholic, you would say this is a prediction that Peter would become the first popes. The first pope. How many Catholics do we have in the house today? You got some former Catholics? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you were Protestant, you were raised Protestant, you were taught that this is a reference to the Peter's rock-solid faith in Jesus. Any Protestants in the house? Okay, a few Protestants here. So I'll let y'all go out, out in the atrium, and you can battle that out and figure that out on your own, okay? But what was Jesus referring to here? Remember, Jesus had taken them to Caesarea Philippi, where they could look at the rock of the gods. I think part of what Jesus is saying is on this rock right here, where there's spiritual chaos, where there's spiritual confusion and disorder, where money and power and pleasure is worshiped, where there's sin and deviancy, where it all abounds. On this rock, I will build my church. That's a really bold statement. When you think about it, Jesus is there with his disciples 
They didn't have resources. They didn't have any money. And Jesus stood there and declared, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, many of you are just like me, that when you hear that, that phrase, you immediately think about a building, because we look at ch- as church as a building, but Jesus is not referring to church as a building, but he said he was referring it as a movement. Next line is very interesting. He said, and I'll tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and notice this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In some translations it will say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus is saying to his disciples, look at the kind of people that are represented around here. People who live their lives uh, in chaos with a sense of fear and confusion. People who live in panic mode. Jesus said, I will not stand here and passively let this happen to the people I love. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to go after them. I'm going to go down and take down the gates of hell. I've got the keys. I got them from my heavenly father. And as he is passionately uh, challenging those disciples, he looks at them and says, now, who wants to go with me? Who wants to go with me on this adventure? And I can hear the disciples saying, wait a minute. How are you going to do this? What does this look like? What are you talking about? We drop down to verse 21. And he says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life again. Jesus said, I'm going to go break down the gates of hell I'm going to do this by descending in the hell, into hell, and he did. I'm going to defeat the power of hatred by loving people. I'm going to defeat death by dying on the cross, and on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. This is the story of Easter. And upon this rock, at the rock of the gods, at the gates of Hades, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's what I want you to know, that Jesus built the church to fight against the power of hell. Jesus built the church to fight against the power of hell. Now, I realize that many people in this room feel like that this is a political virus that we're dealing with that's going to be over the day after the election. But before you go there, I want you to hear this. It's more than that. It is much more than that. Granted, it would not be across our news uh, feeds if it were not an election year. But don't underestimate this virus. It's more than just a political uh, uh, 
battlefield. This is a spiritual attack. This is a spiritual attack. Jesus built the church to fight against, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus built the church to to fight against the power of hell. So the devil's response is to create a virus to shut down the church. We know the scripture says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and so you can have it more abundantly. So let's be practical. Satan uses this virus to steal, kill, and destroy, to shut down the church. Is it not interesting to you that that the epicenter of many of the outbreaks of COVID-19 in America and around the world has happened in the choir loft? That's true. You see, many of the outbreaks of this virus has has happened in a choir loft. Say, what's up with that? This is what's up with that. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13, the, the Bible describes Satan before he was cast out of heaven. You see, Satan was a leading angel in heaven. And he tried to overthrow God, and at that point, he was kicked out and became the devil, and he runs to and fro on this earth. So if we look deep into Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13, you'll see one little phrase that gives us some insight to his responsibilities while he was in heaven. It said, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. So many people feel like that Satan led the music in heaven. Isn't it interesting that this virus is trying to shut down the music? In fact, earlier this month in the state of California, they banned singing in church. Now, I don't even think they can legally do this, but they did. They banned singing. Why do you think that's important? Well, Satan knows firsthand the power of singing and the power of worship. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. That when we start to praise him, his presence comes and covers us. Some people say it like this, uh, when praise goes up, God comes down. But really, his praise, he lives and dwells in those praises Let's move on. Jesus is at the gates of Hades with his disciples. The gates of hell, that's wherever sin runs rampant. It's wherever children are neglected. It's where sexual activity outside the bonds of holy matrimony is commonplace. It's where greed gets glorified and where sin gets excused. It's where there's a disrespect for authority. The gates of hell, it's where judgmentalism um, carries the day and God's word is unknown and God's truth is unheeded and God's love is unexpressed. That's the gates of hell. It is our mission at Stevens Creek Church 
to tear down the gates of hell in this community. Every time a a little child is unwanted or unloved or uncared for, hell is prevailing. But we are here as a church to declare that people matter to God. And if people matter to God, then they matter to us. And that we are going to do whatever we can to lift up the value of people hurting people across this community. Just this week, a dad came to the Augusta Dream Center. He has a one-year-old son that was abandoned by his mother, and that son went into social services. That dad wanted to raise that son as his own, but didn't have the resources. And social services said to him, and said, we can't give you this child until that child has a crib and has comforters and has enough supplies that we know that uh, that child is safe. So at the Dream Center this week, we were able to provide that child with a crib and the, uh, the resources needed. And here's the social worker, Haley. You made that happen. You did that. And we may not can change the whole world, but I'll tell you, we can change one person. We changed that, that man's world this week. We changed that man's world. And when we do that, we are pushing back the darkness in this community. We're pushing back the gates of Hades in this community. Just like Serve Day yesterday. We had over 100 people to show up, to roll up their sleeves, to serve, to go and to adopt blocks and to to go to projects and to... um, give out backpacks and provide food and clothing for people. Every time we do that, we're pushing back the darkness in this community and we're looking in the eyes of hurting people and saying, you matter to God and you matter to us. We're pushing back the darkness. That's why we invest in the Dream Center. I'm telling you, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's why we're investing in our South Campus. You you probably don't know this right now, but right now, we're involved in a $1.5 million renovation project at our South Campus. You hadn't heard anything about that, but um, we've been involved in that over the last several months. And to think about it, um, this time last year, we didn't even have a clue that we would ever have that building. You know what we were focused on this time last year? Last year, we were focused on reducing debt here at the church. And those days, as we had two mortgages, I called them loan A and loan B. Loan A was a mortgage of of $1.6 million, and loan B was a mortgage of about $4.3 million, which that's about $3.8 now. But that loan A, that $1.6, has a zero balance. Amen. Now, why is that significant? I really feel like that when that was paid off, do you know like right after that was paid off, the Lord said, okay, you've taken care of that responsibility. Now I'm gonna expand your influence and you're, I'm gonna give you this building. 
And God honored your faithfulness. God honored your generosity by expanding your territory. And so now we have this building because the Lord knew that we know how to build and we know how to renovate. And that we are doing this not for our own benefit, but we're doing this for the benefit of his kingdom. And that we're gonna help people that we may uh, never have an opportunity to meet unless we were in that uh, ministry there in South Augusta. We're pushing back the darkness. We're pushing back the darkness. And I realize that we look around and we turn on the news and we look at our nation and it seems like that hell is prevailing. It seems like the devil is winning. Because every time a marriage ends in divorce, hell is prevailing. Every time there's racial uh, differences in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, that's hell prevailing. Every time that money gets idolized in worship, that's hell is prevailing. Every time a lie is told, that's hell prevailing. Every time families are broken up, that's hell prevailing. And Jesus said, this is not acceptable. Not in my church. I gave my life so that the church can prevail. Our job here at Stevens Creek is not to run a program. It's not to fill a building. It's not to maintain the the status quo. It is not to keep the tradition going. Our job here at Stevens Creek Church is to put hell out of business. Hallelujah. Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday. He was in the grave on Saturday and he came out of that grave and was raised to life on Easter Sunday. And so now we proclaim him and we can proclaim his power and we stand in his victory. We prevail because Jesus lives in us. So what does it look like for a church to prevail? What it looks like is when heaven comes down When those things that are in heaven start to happen here on this earth, that's why Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, oh, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's why we gather for 21 days and say, God, let your kingdom come in me. Let your rulership and your reign be in me. Let righteousness, peace, and joy flow through my life and flow through this church. What if God's kingdom would come in our church? What if God's kingdom would flow through the CSRA? I think if God's kingdom started to flow through us and flow through the CSRA, things would be different. I think the CSRA would be a place where people would love unconditionally. We'd be a place where divorce lawyers would have to change their, uh, their focus of law and go do something else because there's not enough uh, business for them to stay in business. Porn sites would have to shut down. Sex shops would have to close the crime. What if the crime went all the way down and employment went all the way up? What if people would gather together uh, that dearly loved and fervently worshiped the Lord and the name of Jesus and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord? Our, 
Our world would change. Our community would change. But this is our mission, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We are a part of a movement. This is more than a building. Uh, This is more than a program. This is a movement declaring to people who are lost that there's hope. There's hope, and hope has a name, and it's the name of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I want you to lean in, and I want you to listen to this question. Do you have anything better to do with your one and only life? Do you have anything better to do with your one and only life than to give it to Jesus? You see, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other, for Jesus is the way, and this is your day. Stevens Creek, this is your day. This is your opportunity. This is your time. Other people have already had their time. This is your day. Moses already had a day. Joshua had a day. Samson had a day. Saul had his day. Esther had her day. Peter had his day. Judas had his day. Paul had his day. And this is our day. What are you going to do with your day? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 said, I'll tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is your day. What are you going to do with it? God has given us an opportunity to be a part of what he is doing in this community. We're being attacked. We're attacked with a, an evil disease. We're attacked with the fear that comes with that. We're being attacked on every, in every way. But I'm telling you, church, this is not the end of the story. Jesus wins. And I'm challenging you to get on his team and to be a part of what he's doing. I'm challenging you to surrender your life to him. Today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Here's the point. We're starting 21 days of prayer. And for the next 21 days, we're going to call on the name of the Lord. We're going to repent. We're going to personally repent of our sins We're going to turn away from ungodliness. We're going to turn away from worldliness. We're going to turn toward God. We're going to turn toward holiness. We're going to turn toward him and say, God, get the junk out of our lives. We're going to say these words, God, sanctify us. Get the junk out of our lives and let us be filled with the power from on high. And we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord. Here's the point. The more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you pray, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you will worry. So how are we going to do this? Starting today, we're going to call on the name of the Lord. You receive two cards. First of all, there's a card with my seven targets. 
I want you to fill out this card with seven people that you want to see blessed by the Lord. They may be saved or they may not be saved, but you want to see the blessings of the Lord. And for the next 21 days, you're going to call their names out. And you're going to uh, hold this. You're going to put this in a place that you can, you'll see. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's in, on your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's on the kitchen counter. But I want you to, to take this with you. Here's a second card. And this is a card you're going to leave with me. It says, pray first. I want you to write down what you need God to do in your life. What is it that you need God to do in your life? And if you'll write that down and you'll drop this in the buckets as you leave this building, here's what I promise. I'll promise there'll be people tomorrow. The church building opens at six um, and then we'll start a service at seven and we'll have a song, we'll have a devotional, but then we'll have concentrated times where we will pray over these needs that have been written on these cards. And we're gonna call on the name of the Lord and we're gonna join with you and we're gonna believe God's gonna answer. Here's what we know. We create the future in prayer. We want Stevens Creek Church to be a congregation that's not known necessarily for its messages or its music, but we want to be known in this community for the prayers that we pray. 21 days of prayer is foundational for our church and it's foundational for you. If you want to experience revival, I want you to carve out this time and seek the Lord. Today is your day. This is your time. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that your spirit would be strong in this room. I pray, God, that it would touch the people that are watching online right now. God, we cry out to you and we say, God, come and have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon our community, and God, have mercy upon the United States of America. God, we repent of our sins. God, forgive us, cleanse us from unrighteousness. God, make us into the people that you would have us to be. And maybe you're listening to me and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you've never invited him in. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Just say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Say that. Say, forgive me of my sins. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make me. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. And this is a prayer for all of us. Pray this. Say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Now, Father, I pray that your favor and your power rest upon us. God, let your favor and power rest upon our families. We speak life and favor over our work and our schooling. God, let your anointing be upon your people. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.